I think that most of us uh, that are sitting here today would probably consider ourselves as mature Christians, right? You've known the Lord for quite some time. You've been through some ups and downs. You've had your faith tested. You've had your faith stretched, right? You've probably even faced some sort of persecution in one form or another. Mature Christians. This morning I want to examine what I would call some mature qualities of prayer. Maybe sometimes you say to yourself, I wish I could pray better. Or I wish things would happen more according to the way that I pray. More results. We all want to improve the quality of our prayer life, don't we? I think we all recognize the sound of what we might call a beginner's prayer. Something like, you know, God bless me and my family, amen. <laughs> but you know, there's even something to be said for that. There's a time and a place for that. Jesus even said, right, it's not so much the many words that you say, right, but the sincerity of your heart. But as we mature in the Lord, I think our prayer life should also mature accordingly. And I've come across some examples of some familiar stories in the Gospel of Luke that I think will help us mature in our prayer life. So let's, let's look at a few examples uh, in Luke. If you can turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. We'll go through a few things there. Luke chapter 17. Okay. Luke chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 11. <coughs> chapter 17, verse 11. And it came to pass... As he went to Jerusalem, this is Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God except this stranger. And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you whole. Stop there. Familiar story, which we've read hundreds of times probably, right? Familiar story. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem between Samaria and Galilee. And it tells us that the, the lepers, they stood at a distance, right? Why? Because it was unlawful for them to get close to people. They had a standoff at a distance. And it says that they spoke with a loud voice to Jesus and said, Jesus, have mercy on us. Because he was far away. It makes sense, right? Wouldn't make much sense, you know, if Jesus was over here and he said, Jesus, have mercy on us, right? <laughs> Some people think they have to scream in order to make God hear them, don't they? Some people think they have to scream for God to hear them. But these men, they had a reason for staying further away. They said, have pity. Have pity on us, Jesus. Now, perhaps they were looking for some food. Perhaps they were looking for some money. Right? I mean, you could, you could just imagine, these guys, um, they couldn't go and hold down a job, right? Nobody would go near them. 
They were dependent on other people. And Jesus said, in verse 14, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. Now this meant a lot to them, because in the times of the ancient Jews, this confirmed a healing of a skin disease. That's what they would do. If they, they would show themselves to the priest, they would go to the priest, there was this long procedure, and you can read about it in Leviticus, uh, there was this elaborate procedure of looking at the, the color of the skin, they would wait a certain period of time, and then they would make an appropriate offering to the Lord for the healing of the person if they were in fact healed. It was a very long procedure, and that's what they did. When they thought that they were healed, they would go show themselves to the priest. So now when these lepers heard this, wow, we asked them to have pity on us. Give us some food maybe, give us some money maybe. And what is he doing? He's telling us, go show yourselves to the priest. They realized that something good was about to happen. They left and they were healed on their way, it says. Not before they left, but they did it anyway. They left anyway. They didn't see that they were healed, but they left anyway to show themselves to the priest. Their faith was activated. In verse 15, it tells us that one of them came back to praise God. One of them came back. He saw that he was healed. Let's read that again in verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, and with a loud voice, he came and glorified God. So he saw it. He saw it. It was physical. It was something physical. As you can see in the physical realm, his skin had been cleared. He was, in fact, healed. He didn't go back to the priest to see if he was healed. He knew it already. In fact, it was probably unlawful for him to go back to the priest, because he was a Samaritan, right? Hmm. Who did he come back to? Jesus. And what did he do? He praised God. You see, the man put a connection together. The man saw something, and the man made a connection. This was important. This was important because what happens later on falls into place. What happens here in verse, um, in verse 17 now? Verse 17, he says, And Jesus answered, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the other nine? Then he goes on and tells us that this man was a Samaritan, right? This stranger, he says. Why do we need to know where this man was from? Why is that important to us? You remember who the Samaritans were, right? They were the unliked, even despised group of people. They were considered inferior to the Jews. They didn't like each other. They were considered inferior. They were considered, in fact, half-breeds. Way back from the time of the Assyrian exile. Remember a few weeks ago we were studying about um, Nehemiah? We talked about the exile when they were back. This was the area they were talking about, Samaria. They were considered half-breeds. They weren't full Jews. There was a lot of prejudice going on there. And that's also what makes the parable of the Good Samaritan such an important, shocking thing to these people. That's why it had such an impact on these people. Also that time, remember when Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman? That was a big deal too. Not only was a Jew speaking to a woman, which was unheard of at that time, you know, without a crowd around, that was unheard of, but it was a Samaritan woman. So this was a big deal to them. But you know what's interesting? Here's all these people, this group of lepers, and they all have this disease, and one of them is the Samaritan. It seems interesting that this disease trumped their social stigma, doesn't it? Here's this group of people that are all in the same boat. They all have this trouble. Okay, the Samaritan can come with us now. 
all of a sudden things go into a different perspective. This group of diseased men thought it was okay to stick together even though one was a Samaritan. Where were the rest, Jesus said? Where were the rest, Jesus said? Who was Jesus talking to? Look at that again in verse 17. And Jesus answered and said, where, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Who was Jesus talking to? Could have been talking to the man himself, right, that came back. But who else do you think he was talking to? There's probably a lot of people around. A lot of people around that witnessed this miracle. Where are the other nine? What happened to them? And Jesus says, did everybody come back? No, just this stranger or this foreigner, it says in another translation. Again, he's driving home that point that this man was not part of their group. The others were cleansed. Look in verse 19. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. What did it say before? They were healed. And this man was made whole. The others were cleansed. This man was made whole. It may also be translated, your faith has saved you. That's another way to translate that verse. Your faith has saved you. In fact, the vast majority of times this word is translated as saved in the New Testament. So perhaps this man received both a physical healing and a spiritual healing as well. The others didn't get that. So what do we do with this story? How do we put this into practice? What do we do with this story? You know, we've got to realize here that we don't always get what we expect when we ask of God. They might have been asking for alms or, or, or give us something or, uh, you know, give us food. But what did they receive? They received something far better than what they even asked for. God always knows what's best as far as what we need, doesn't he? He knows what's best for us. And he only gives his children good gifts. Maybe they were only expecting money or food. Again, after all, they probably couldn't hold a job, right? Because nobody would go near them. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. It was great that they exercised their faith and they went when Jesus told them to go. But they kind of sold themselves short by a lack of appreciation. They failed to get the whole package. They settled for a temporary blessing, right? Physical healing, when they too could have gotten saved. Hmm. The story also teaches us something about prejudices, doesn't it? This hated outsider, he was the one who showed the most appreciation. And again, it's interesting how this band of outsiders, these lepers, had included yet another outcast among them, the Samaritan. It's interesting how when tragedy strikes, in this case, in this case that dreaded disease, that all the petty differences fall away. Perspectives change when there's a common suffering. It even happens within the body of Christ. It even happens today. Think about an example from this past year where we saw all the persecution of Christians in the Middle East. All of a sudden there was this call to unity. We're one. All of a sudden we could see the big picture. No longer did we care that they didn't worship or pray or believe exactly as they do. Hmm. We can look past that and see the bigger picture. And perhaps that's what happened with this band of outcasts. You can see the bigger picture. So they exercised their faith. One of them showed appreciation. And the prejudices were exposed. So number one quality I wanted to talk about today for our mature 
qualities in prayer is that of appreciation. Appreciation to God. Number one. Let's jump down a little bit now. Jump down to verse, uh, chapter 18 in verse 1. Chapter 18, we're going to go to verse 1. Another familiar story. that I want us to look at today. Verse 1. Chapter 18, verse 1. Again, this is Jesus speaking, and he said, He spoke a parable to them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wearies me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect? which cry day and night to him, though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them, and speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. And stop there. Story of the persist persistent woman and the unjust judge. Jesus told them in verse 1, he says, to pray and not give up. Pray and not faint. Pray and not give up your praying. This reminds us of another verse that Jesus said. Right? Remember he said, seek and you will find, right? Knock and it shall be given to you or opened to you. And the verb tenses in the Greek are kind of interesting there because it shows us that to knock, it tells us to keep on knocking. To seek and you keep on seeking. You keep on looking. You see, it's a privilege that we have. To be able to pray. Anytime. Anywhere. That's a privilege that we have. Anytime. Anywhere. So pray. And not grow weary. Pray. Always pray. Do not stop. Do not faint. And then he gives us this example. Of the unrighteous judge. It was a city. This man which neither feared God. Nor regarded man. He was the unrighteous judge. He cared not about God nor about man. He considered no one as his superior. There was no one above him. So who was he concerned with then? Himself. Only himself. He only cared about, he only would answer to himself. Now at first when people read this a lot of times, they make the mistaken thing that Jesus is saying that God is this unrighteous judge. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying. This is just a figure that's used as a contrast of the character of the Lord. This story is not so much about the judge, but it's more about the widow. The widow is looking for justice. Now in our society today, widows are considered vulnerable, so much more so at that time, in ancient times, were widows considered vulnerable. People would take advantage. They would steal they weren't so nice. They would do whatever they wanted to. They were most often taken advantage of. The Bible is a rare exception to that system of thought. 
If you remember, the Bible says that God is the friend of widows. Right? He's the friend of widows. And look with me in verse 4. And he would not for a while, he would not avenge her for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man, verse 5, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wearies me. She wears me out. <laughs> yeah, it does. it does. Now again, it's interesting here, in the Greek verb tenses here, it says that she continually asked, she continually kept coming back. Persistence. Kept coming back. And this man continually kept saying no. Continually kept saying no until finally, eventually, he gave in to her persistence. She would not have received what she wanted had she not persistently asked of the judge. Now, if even an unjust judge will listen to persistence, how much more will God answer our Prayers. That's what Jesus says here in verse sixes, 6 and 7. And the Lord said, what shall the unjust, listen to what the unjust judge says. And shall not God avenge his own, which cry out day and night to him, though he bear long with them. So if even an unjust judge will listen to persistence, how much more will God listen to our prayer? He will give them justice. Justice for his people. Be careful with this word justice, right? Because justice infers that there's a right standing. Hmm. We're praying to God, but I'm in right standing with God. It says here that you will quickly avenge those with justice, inferring that you're in right standing with God. They persistently cry out to Him for help. They realize that they need God. They don't get proudly confident as if they don't need Him anymore. Sometimes we do that, don't we? Things are going great. Things are going great. All of a sudden, we forget about God. Things are going great. We forget about God. Then all of a sudden, something happens, and we remember about God. Hmm. If even this unjust judge can make the right decision because of persistence, how much more will God? Well, God is not like the unjust judge who needs to be harassed finally to give in. God brings justice. Justice for his people. But then it says, will Jesus find faith when he returns to earth? All of a sudden he turns it to the future and he says, when I come back to earth, am I going to find faith? But in this context, what's he talking about here? He's talking about persistence, right? Am I going to find persistent faith? That's what he's talking about. Am I going to find a faith that perseveres, that keeps on going? So what do we make out of this story? We've got to be careful that we're not too self-sufficient and no longer need God. We've got to keep on communicating with God, always, continually. We can't forget about Him and coast along our faith. This woman sought justice. And if this woman could get what she wanted from this bomb of a judge, right, how much more can godly people receive from God? So persistence here is equal to relationship with God. Persistence is equal to relationship with God, abiding in Him, knowing Him, praying to Him always, without ceasing, always, using that benefit that we have. So here we see another mature quality in prayer. First we had appreciation, 
Second, we see persistence. Let's go to another story. Jump down to verse 35. Verse 35. Chapter 18. And it came to pass that as he, Jesus, was coming near to Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passed by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they went, and they which went forth before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried much the more, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What will you that I shall do to you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has, made you, has saved you. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The blind man was healed. The blind man was healed. It says the blind man sat on the curb, sat on the side of the road, probably begging, right? Probably begging, which was pretty much all a blind man could do at that time to survive. Yet again, here we see yet another example of a person who was at the mercy of others. Before we talked about the lepers, right? Here we're talking about a handicapped, disabled person, a blind man. Or yet another example of a person who was at the mercy of others at this time. Now this must have been an unusual happening. Look in verse 36 again. Um, and hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. This must have been something very unusual. We can picture in our minds like a quiet street that, you know, not too much happened. All of a sudden they hear this entourage coming down, this parade coming down the road. So it sparked his attention. He didn't know what was going on. The noise of the crowd stirred his curiosity. Now again, in the Greek, the verb tense here, it tells us that he repeatedly asked them, what's going on, people? What's going on here? I hear all this commotion. What's going on? He keeps asking. Jesus obviously had quite a reputation at this time. Everyone seemed to know who he was. The man called out and called him the son of David, right? Which meant the Christ, who in the Old Testament God had promised. The man recognized Jesus as the Messiah. Look at verse 39. And they which went before him rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Who were those people that were leading the way? It doesn't really tell us. We don't really know. Who were those people that were leading the parade, the, the entourage? Who were they? We don't know. Perhaps it was the disciples. Because you remember, they did a similar thing when Jesus, when the, they were trying to bring the children to Jesus. What did they say? Keep those kids away from Jesus. Don't bother him, right? right. Here we see the same thing. So perhaps it was the disciples, maybe. Perhaps it was just those who joined the entourage as, as Jesus' fame grew. But regardlessly, they obviously thought that the blind man wasn't worth the master's time. They thought the blind man wasn't worth the master's time. But once again, we see that they were wrong. 
What did the man say? Son of David, what? Have mercy on me. Very similar to what the lepers said, right? What did the lepers say? Have pity on us. Have mercy on us. Very similar to what the lepers said. So although the people in the front of the line didn't think that this man was very important to Jesus, look in verse 40, and Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought to him, and when he was come near, he asked him. Jesus didn't think this man was unimportant, did he? He brought the whole procession to a stop. Jesus stopped. Here they were coming through town. This man cries out. Jesus stops the whole thing. Bring the man to me. Bring the man to me. Have mercy on me. Look what it says in verse 41. Jesus said, What will you that I shall do to you? Jesus said, What do you want me to do? What is it that you want? You know, when you first think about this, what kind of question is that? What kind of question is that? What kind of question is that? It seems so obvious to us. What else would this man want? But perhaps like the other people that we spoke about before, perhaps he was going to ask Jesus, you know, I don't want to have to beg for money anymore. Give me some money. Maybe, you know, people aren't so nice to me. Maybe make people be nice to me. But this man went for the whole thing. That would be just treating the symptoms. This man went for the whole thing. He said, Jesus, that I may be able to see. Heal my blindness. He went for it all. He wouldn't need to beg anymore if he could see. People would treat him better if he was able to see and do things. This man wanted to solve the root of his problem. Not the symptoms, but the root. I love the way it says here in verse 42. 41, 41 and 42. And Jesus said, what shall I do to you? And the man said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Just so matter of fact. Lord, this is what I want. I want to be able to see. Okay, see. Incredible. He was giving permission for it to be so. Giving permission for it to be so. And God received glory for this miracle, both from the man who was healed, and then it tells us from the people who saw what had happened. So what do we do with this story? How many times do we pray only for the relief of symptoms? Lord, please heal this sore throat, or heal this cough, or make people be nice to me, or fill up this church with people. We need to be praying for the root of the problem, not just relief of the symptom. Lord, please cause whatever, heal whatever is causing this sore throat or this cough. Help me to see why people aren't treating me right. Imagine that. It might have something to do with me. <laughs> Lord, show us why this church isn't filling up with people. Symptoms can be very useful in diagnosing the root, but pray that the root be corrected. So first we saw appreciation, then we saw persistence, and thirdly I want to say here that the quality of mature praying is boldly asking to correct the root of the problem. Hmm. Not just the symptoms. So we think about the lepers, 
And we say we don't always get from God what it is that we expect. They may have only wanted alms, but they got healing. They got more than what they expected, more than what they had asked of God. God always knows what's best for us as far as what we need. And He only gives His children good gifts. Maybe they were only expecting money or food. They probably had no money. Probably had a hard time getting food. They depended on the mercy of others. And it was great that they exercised their faith when they said, when Jesus told them to go, but they sold themselves short by a lack of appreciation. They failed to get the whole package. They settled for a temporary blessing when they could have gotten saved. Persistence. The woman sought justice. The persistent woman. And if this woman could get from that judge what she needed, what she wanted, how much more can godly people receive from God? Now remember here, persistence here is equal to a relationship with God. A persistent relation, abiding in Him, knowing Him, praying to Him always. Don't think that we're too self-sufficient and we no longer need God. We've got to keep communicating with Him. Keep communicating Him. We can't forget about Him at the, and coast along on our faith. Coast along. Uh, I don't need Him anymore. Things are going good. Things are going good. I don't need Him anymore. Persistence. How many times do we only pray for relief of the symptoms? Pray for the root of the problem. Again, not just relief of the system. Symptoms. Lord, please heal whatever is causing this cough. Help me to see why people aren't treating me right. And again, it could be something that I'm doing wrong. Show us why this church isn't filling up with people. Symptoms can be very useful in diagnosing the root of a problem. But pray for the root to be solved, not just the symptoms to be corrected. Amen? Appreciation, persistence, praying for the root. Amen. Yeah.